everybody, welcome back to the Women's Dating and Confidence Podcast. My name is Amber, and today I'm really excited to share an interview that I did with Dr. Aziz Ghazipura. For those of you who don't know, Dr. Aziz is the reason why I became a coach. I found his book, The Art of Extraordinary Confidence, years and years ago, and I read it and I loved it so much, and I reached out to him and asked him, if we could work together and if he would train me to become a confidence coach. And so he created an internship position at his company for me and we worked together and then I started working with clients through him and then he encouraged me to do my own thing, which is how I got here today. So Dr. Aziz is not only really amazing with the work that he does in the world, which he's going to share with you today, but he's also very amazing and the impact he's had on my life personally. And he's the reason why I get to do what I love here with you every single week and in the coaching sessions. So in today's episode, we're going to dive into relationships, dating, vulnerability, jealousy, communication, amazing, interesting topics around dating and relationships. If you want to learn more about Dr. Aziz, definitely check out his podcast, Shrink for the Shy Guy. It's called Shrink for the Shy Guy, but I think like 50% of the listeners are female as well. And it's for anybody who could use more confidence socially in work, being more assertive. And yeah, definitely check out his work as well. And for now, let's dive into this episode. Thank you so much for joining me on the Women's Dating and Confidence podcast. I'm so grateful to have you here for another episode. Yes. Thanks for having me, Amber. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So why don't we get started with you just introducing yourself for those who haven't heard you on a prior episode or who don't know who you are in your work in the world. Sure. Uh, I'm Dr. Aziz and I am obsessed with confidence. I've been studying it for the last 20 years, at first just for myself, because I was uh, very limited in my life, uh, a very low sense of self-esteem, low level of confidence, a lot of social anxiety and people-pleasing, and that led me to be very inhibited, Uh, didn't really date much at all, didn't really have, uh, I had one or two close friends, but other than that, uh, no real social life, and certainly couldn't speak up in groups or do new things, or so very... uh, life on the sidelines. And then I became obsessed at some point with, with learning and discovering how to build confidence. And then that turned into from a personal pursuit into a professional pursuit into a mission. So now my mission is to help inspire as many people as I can while I'm here to live with uh, more confidence than ever before in their lives. That's amazing. (laughs) And actually one thing that I'm curious about that comes up around that topic is, so you used to be a therapist and then you switched into coaching and you did that independently. So you had your own, your own therapy practice and then you opened a coaching practice. Why did you switch from therapy to coaching when it came to your mission of helping people be more confident? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think I got interested in coaching when I was in the middle of my graduate training studies I don't think I knew anything about coaching when I first uh, you know, started to get my doctorate in clinical psychology. I just knew I wanted to help people. And I was like, oh, you can become a therapist in a few different ways. 
And uh, I chose the like, well, why don't I, why don't I get like the longest training? Cause then I'll be the best at it. I think that's what my thinking was. And uh, about halfway or a couple years into my training, I discovered the world of Tony Robbins and coaching. And I thought, wow, this is way more practically useful. Uh, some of the stuff I was learning was also useful, but a lot of it was very academic and uh, di- diagnosis oriented, not really what I wanted to do. So from then on, I was actually having a dual track. I was in my clinical studies and I was going to a ton of coaching stuff, usually for my own personal development. And I just got really interested in that. And then when I got out, um, you know, I had my, my doctorate, I had my license. Um, and I thought, well, I don't know about all this coaching stuff. I don't know if I can do it or uh, if anyone will pay me for it, but I know I can run a therapy practice because that's what I'm trained in. So I, I started that. But therapy tends to be a bit more general. Uh, you get local people who are in your area. Uh, you get people who kind of have a wide range of challenges, and which I could help people with all kinds of stuff, but I was most passionate about uh, social anxiety, uh, social confidence, conversation confidence, um, and just generally how do we help people be more bold and authentic, which was not every, everyone's goals for therapy that I saw. So I started to build a coaching practice on the side, really one to specialize more and then two to remove all restriction of borders because in, you had to only practice with people in the state of Oregon. That's where I'm licensed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to work with people anywhere. Um, so I really started to pursue that model. And, and then eventually that started to become more, I got coaching clients and I started to shift over away from therapy and entirely into coaching. Mm, yeah. And some of your therapy clients came with you because they were like, this coaching stuff is really cool. <laughs> they did. Yeah. Some did not. Uh, mm-hmm. And some did. And some therapists knew what I was doing and didn't like it. And some were, you know, were supportive and, you know, to pursue your dreams, uh, you have to be willing to have a whole wide uh, range of reactions to what you want to do to create it. Yeah. So let's actually dive into one of the topics you just brought up which is conversation confidence. And what do you think makes a great first date conversation? That's a good question. I would say I was, you were just talking about this in a group that I was running um, of it's not quote bad. I think people can, when I was listening to dating advice, I took things as rules do this and don't ever do this and make sure you don't do that. So everything I'm going to say is not a rule. You could do whatever you want and it could quote work in one situation and not work. What I found over general though is getting a little more creative and steering, steering away from the default questions that are kind of interview style. Like where did you go to school and um, what would you do for work and where do you live? And not that you can't ask some of those during the date, but, uh, why not like be really ask yourself, what do I actually want to know about this person? Mm, maybe you really do good. really, really want to know where they went to school, but I'm like, maybe, <laughs> probably not, right? <laughs> maybe lower on the list. <laughs> and what people do is they don't even ask themselves these questions. And so they start playing a, a social role, the friendly guy or the nice girl or like the, you know, cause, Oh, if I'm just warm and friendly enough around this person, then eventually they'll like me. And I don't know if that's how attraction is created. There needs to be some level of engagement. And that comes from, what do I really want to know about this person? Maybe you want to know like random things about them. Maybe you want to know, um, you know, 
what kind of bed do they sleep on? I mean, I think the weirdest question to ask, actually probably not too weird on, on the date, but uh, you know, uh, what kind of, you, you notice them ordering something and you think it's kind of an, an, an interesting thing they ordered and you're curious about why do they order that or what kind of food do they eat or, and you just start to actually ask what you're interested in and you veer away from the standard questions and you also can narrate what you might notice in that moment. Like maybe you, maybe you made a joke and then they didn't really laugh. And, and instead of just trying to like barrel through that moment, you might be like, wow, that did not land well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you're, you're, you're able to be more vulnerable by, by naming what's happening in the moment. And I found those two things made dates way more engaging and fun for, for me and the, and the, the people I dated too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think when it comes to those different kinds of questions that we can ask and different things we can offer to that person, it also really shows like where their skill is with meeting it. Um, like I kind of think of it like tennis, like you kind of throw the ball over there and then it's like, can they run? Can they get that one? Like even when it's low, even when it's high. Um, and I, I'm just thinking of some dates that I've had that were similar to what you're describing. And that was one thing I loved. Like I remember there was this one guy I went on a few dates with and no matter what I threw out there, he was game. <laughs> like mm. one of the questions I asked him point blank was what's your opinion on milk? <laughs> and we had like a 20 minute discussion about milk and he was like, what the fuck is this question? And he was like, okay, hold on, hold on. And then he had like a super like well thought out opinion about different kinds of milk and the nut milks and the regular milk and how much milk should you be drinking? And here's a story about a time when I drank milk as a kid and here's my friend who drinks this kind of milk. And it was so fun. Um, and also that same person, like I remember we were just walking and we were talking about like operas or something. I was like, oh, okay, like harmonize with me. Ha! And he was like, ha! <laughs> you just met me right there like no thought just like I'm harmonizing okay I'm in I'm gonna harmonize with you so um I love that you take that intention to like come to the date with that in the first place and then also like it depends on the other person too if they can meet you there and how they respond to that vulnerability and can they just like start talking about anything or any topic um so I think that's like really good feedback to like have that curiosity in the first place. Right. And that's a reflection of being a selector as opposed to hoping to get chosen in dating. Right. It's like, mm -hmm. this is the kind of person I want. Right. Cause some people are like, Oh, but what if you ask a question that's, they don't, it's unusual. And it's like, well, wouldn't you want to know that right away? Yeah. Uh, Cause it maybe if you're with, some, if it's, if they're the kind of person who's like, I want to do things by the book that everyone else does and doesn't do things that are quote weird, like harmonized there. Uh, then you maybe you don't want to date them mm -hmm. if you're into that sort of thing. And if you like, you know, if you're both boring, then, then it's very good. <laughs> but actually, interesting side note, which maybe the listeners don't know. I don't know when that date that you're describing occurred, but there was a period of time in, in which I've known you where you were you were <laughs> chugging back a fair amount of milk on the reg. So I don't know if this happens to coincide. <laughs> that was definitely like one thing that came up in that conversation 
because I recently found a picture of myself at our old office and it was like a picture of me at the desk with the computer and there were two half gallons of milk on my desk. <laughs> Why? I'd take a swig from each. Or was one left over? It was the day before. I think one was like done and the other one I was working on. Cracked open a new... Oh, this is a tough project. I'm going to need another glass of milk. <laughs> I don't drink milk anymore. Oh, did you, are you again it against it? No. Um, but I will say like, I could definitely start talking about milk for a long time. Now, I thought that's what the, the rest of this episode minutes. was dedicated. <laughs> milk. I'm not against it or I'll have it like occasionally, but I also remember we had a conversation. You were like, yeah, well milk is like, maybe you wouldn't want to drink it like every day. Right. And I was like, yeah, you do. Like, what are you talking about? Of course That's you do. That's what they no. say. It's good for the bones. Although, if anyone who wants to do their, their research on the calcium in milk and how bioavailable it is, that's, I'll, I'll just leave a little breadcrumb there, as well as that the vitamins that people think come in milk are actually added after the fact, just like they do with other nut milks and stuff like that. No, no, it's, uh, I think dairy is a, a delicious uh, treat, but I would not make it a staple. But... We're not here for my, I'm not a medical doctor. Besides medical doctors aren't even trained in, in nutrition, but I'm not a naturopathic doctor. I'm just a doctor of thinking. Yeah. So you heard it here first. Milk is just water from a teat. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> back to dating. Um, what are, how do you distinguish between a deal breaker on a date as you're dating somebody versus something that's workable because I know one of the books that you always recommend is after the honeymoon I think it's called and he talks about how everybody comes with their sets of like just little weird things like issues challenges that you have as a couple but you don't want to fall into that idea that oh I'll just like change the person and then I'll have less problems you just have different problems so how do we distinguish between those workable things that we just go through with somebody versus something that is worth ending a connection over? That's a great question. And man, it's probably very case by case. I say there's a couple things that might prevent someone from even being able to make that decision clearly. And so if you are unwilling to be alone or be single, then you're going to have a hard time making this decision clearly mm. because you're more likely to sort of delete information or distort it or like, Oh, and sort of downplay it because you imagine that being alone is so painful. And so if that's the case, I think, um, and I know you, you teach people how to do this too. Like how, how do you really thrive now? and then create, you know, as you're creating something with someone else. So that, that's a basic distinction beforehand. And then when you're, when you're stepping into it, I think really reminding yourself, I am the selector. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't feel like that yet, you're like, yeah, but I'm, they're better than I am. They're hotter or whatever. They're more worthy than I am. It's like, okay. And ultimately I am the selector because I get to choose who, who I spend time with in my life and who I want to get close with in my life. And then um, knowing ahead of time 
who who am I and who do I resonate with? Like who is my person or my kind of person? And you don't, sometimes people get so granular this, like, well, they're this height and they have this hair color. I'm like, okay, maybe. Is that just someone you dated in high school? Like, how do you know? Let life surprise you. And at the same time though, you might know I'm a really, I remember there was a guy in one of my programs who was like, he loved to be outdoors adventuring. Like he did these mega hikes and stuff. And, you know, I just can't imagine him being with someone who was like really sedentary and just wanted to, you know, stay inside and watch TV all day. Like there's Mm -hmm. no way that would work. So he's got to know that about himself. And it's the same thing for you. You know, like, what do you know about yourself? Are you active? Are you, um, are you healthy? Are you a foodie? Are you whatever? And it's okay if you have some differences between you, but if the other person's like radically different than you in the ways that you like to show up to life, that's probably going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. One other thing I would say is um, a couple big areas that regardless of what you're into, you should pay attention to. One is uh, substance use, alcohol mm-hmm. and drugs. Those are the main ones. But you know, if, if there's a big discrepancy between you two, that's going to be a problem. If you yeah. both like to party till you die, then maybe you'll have a great, great time together. But like, I've seen this again and again and again. And it's like, and people are like hoping like, oh, so-and-so is trying to get, you know, they're already trying to manage their drinking. It's like, that's before you came. Okay. All right. You know? mm-hmm. So just to be aware that that's, I've seen that usually not end super well. And the other thing is how growth oriented they are. Yeah. Because I've seen people who are growth, probably people listen to your podcast are more growth oriented. So they're into like learning and developing themselves and someone who's really not. And so if you try to talk about that kind of stuff, they're just kind of like, oh, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And then um, generally I've seen that stagnate. And unfortunately, sometimes that can stagnate a little ways in mm-hmm. uh, and then it can get more, more painful. So those, those two, I think, are relevant to look at no matter what your interests are. Yeah. And that kind of comes back to the first eight questions as well, where if you share some of the ways that you're growing or learning, you can kind of see that about the other person too. Like, what is their reaction? Do they think that's cool? Are they interested? Are they curious? Do they have their own um, things that they want to share about their growth? And yeah, because I think that is one of those things where it's like, most people want to think of themselves as growth oriented, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of the way that you see it is how genuinely curious they are when you bring those things up as well. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's a great thing to just be doing in general. Like how much engagement are you getting back from this person? Mm -hmm. I mean, you should, that's another one that I think a lot of people, especially in history of the challenge with confidence is you, you might share about you and then they don't, ask that many follow-up questions or they're not that engaged or um and i think that's a i don't know about a red flag but it's definitely a yellow flag or whatever sub red like it's a little bit like hmm uh because it doesn't mean they're a raging horrible narcissist or something but people have a wide range of capacity to be present and actually with another person their their level for intimacy and uh the capacity to give and receive love. Not, not everyone is on the same page with that one. And some people can be way developed and some people can be very um, stunted in this area and they still can be professional and maybe even have a previous marriage or, you know, they're, they're not like um, socially incapable, Mm -hmm. but they're not, they're not able to meet you. 
And yeah. you, if, you, if your sensors are attuned for that, like you've had, you've opened yourself to like real connection with other people, you'll pick up on that in like conversation number one. Totally. And if you're really into them, maybe you give it one more just to say maybe it was that environment was crazy or they were nervous or something. But if I'd say that's a big one to watch for. And sometimes if, you know, if you haven't had that experience much yourself, you might uh, almost tolerate or settle for that behavior because that sort of seems like what you should get or is normal or what you deserve. Mm-hmm. But uh, much, much, much more is possible than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that actually just makes me think yesterday I went to a neighbor's birthday party and it's the first time we're ever talking or meeting up. And um, I asked him, I was like, first question, like, so what are your birthday you intentions? <laughs> 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 I actually already know what he thinks of milk because he's a vegan and owns a vegan restaurant. So okay. <laughs> no need for that question. <laughs> you got you gotta you gotta morph it. What do, what do you think of macadamia milk? <laughs> right. Um yeah, so I asked him, what are your intentions for this birth year, like your next year on earth? And he just immediately shared all of these super personal things about family plans and health plans and challenges he's had over the last year. And then he's like, that was all really personal, but that was also a very personal question. And I think that's just kind of, I guess what I'm taking away from our conversation is the willingness to be brave with those questions. Um, Because I think most people would feel like, Oh, I need to like really butter them up first or like warm them up with those questions of how are you and where are you from and all of that kind of stuff. And I remember hanging out with this group of people that I didn't know very well. And I felt like after five hours, the only thing I knew about them was where they're from (laughs) originally. (laughs) And it was like so hard to ask like Mm -hmm. any other question. They would just immediately, immediately dodge it and start talking about where they're from again. And um, so I think, yeah, with practice, you kind of see like who is able to meet me there and what quality of conversation can I have with that person? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I, I like how you're saying being brave with those questions and then also being brave with your answers to questions. Mm-hmm. How open do you want to be? How forthcoming do you want to be? And I think, and then again, this comes back to, to your mindset going in. If it's like, Ooh, this person is great. They're whatever reason they're, physically attract I'm attracted to them they're hot they're cute or whatever the qualities you think they have that make them impressive to you okay I better do my best to like win them over what whatever that is and usually whatever your strategy is at that point conscious or unconscious is is worse less effective to to win them over and and then I think it's so much more relieving to to let go like, I'm going to show up and communicate how I normally do. I'm going to share the kind of things I do. I'm going to, you know, be playful just like I would with someone that I'm close with. And it's going to click or it's not. Mm. And I don't have control. And I think, oh, but I need, I need control because they're so hot. You know, I need something from them. And I feel like that's just, that's where we really suffer. And I think it can be so liberating to remind yourself, not just before a date, especially a date, but any, any interaction to really take a few slow, deep breaths and remind yourself, I don't need anything from you. Mm. I really yeah. don't. I'm not here to get something from you. And when you show up that way, you have such a different experience on the date and you can be you. And then you, you are more magnetic. Doesn't mean everyone likes you, 
but you're a lot more magnetic because you're not psychically trying to like grasp something from others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what my dad always taught me about dating as well is like, you know, it should be fun and you put your best foot forward, but also everybody has a destiny of when you're going to meet that person and who it's going to click with or not click with. Um, and I think we just need that reminder sometimes before we get into the date. Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of switching gears to relationships. One thing I'm curious about is how do you work through the emotion of jealousy in a relationship? Because that's a bad emotion and we all know it. Yeah, you definitely want to, first things first, you better feel shame. You better push that down. And then you go on the counterattack. You, you accuse them of something inappropriate, put them on the defensive. No, that, that's a great question. Um, well, I think uh, there's a couple ways to handle it. One is just to be able to name that you're feeling jealous to yourself first and foremost. I think I was joking there, but, uh, but I think that is what we do. We're sort of, we feel shame about, okay, jealousy in some ways is already rooted in shame. There's a sense of I'm not enough and you're going to find someone else more attractive than me and you're going to leave me. Mm-hmm. So there's already an insecurity, a brewing there. And then if I'm not aware, self-aware, and I notice you whatever doing whatever I think is the, the threat, the threatening thing, then I might just see you as bad and being inappropriate. How dare you? And, and then I might criticize or withdraw or do something to try to control you to make sure you don't do that again. And that can all happen without me even knowing I'm jealous. Mm. And so I think it can be much more helpful to, to notice and name to yourself like, whoa, I'm feeling jealous. Okay, jealous means I'm feeling threatened, like she or he is going to go with someone else. And then I think there's a few things to, to note there. One is to uh, question just at the very basics, like, do we have agreements and are they breaking one of those agreements? Mm-hmm. Are they interacting in a way that we talked about or something? Maybe not. Maybe maybe you could also say, well, no, we didn't have an agreement about it, but I don't like it. It's like, oh, maybe I had an expectation. Mm-hmm. I had an expectation that, uh, you know, if we go to this party together, that that this my partner's going to come back and check in on me a couple of times, not just be out, you know, whatever. Or I noticed my partner's having a one-on-one extended conversation out on the patio with somebody and she's laughing a lot and like, okay did we have an agreement about that? Like no, no extended solo time with someone kind of in an intimate way. And, and again, what you can do is like, well, is that an agreement I want to create? And what what we're basing this on is this idea between expectations and agreements. Expectations are what I have in my head about what everyone else should do, including myself. And the agreements are what we, we both talk about and say, yeah, I'm on board with that. So if I get jealous when my, you know, spouse goes out, to be with friends unless we created an agreement uh there's not necessarily you know grounds for me to uh condemn her for that but i might say you know what i so then what do you do let's say you you don't have the agreement or or maybe you find that it's something that's like i you know i can't make that agreement because i'm i'm too insecure it's like that's a that's a i shouldn't feel this way i'm being too sensitive or something mm-hmm. well in that case, you have a few different options. Uh, one is to uh, 
learn how to take care of your own suffering. And the other is to be seen and known by your partner. Mm. And uh, so, and it's not either or, it's probably both. So, uh, you know, letting your partner know where you're at, like, hey, you know, um, when you are out on the deck with so-and-so for a long time, like I noticed I felt jealous. You know, it's like, it seemed like a really long, engaging conversation. I kept on checking in. I wanted to like spy on you guys. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I found when you can narrate the jealousy without blaming them, then I've experimented with this. Like the, my partner is a lot more responsive versus like, why were you spending so much time on the deck with him? Like it's, it's sort of like, like you are bad for doing that. And then of course the person's like, don't try to control me. Like, mm -hmm. what are you? So being able to narrate it and be vulnerable. But now in order to do that, it requires the first one, which is being able to tend to your own pain. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I can't narrate it to you. If I'm a, if I'm a wash and I'm a loser for having this. And if you knew that I felt this way, there's no way you could ever want to be with me because it shows what an insecure, you know, worthless person I am. Mm -hmm. So we have to be able to tend to that. I mean, that's, that's core confidence work. That's like a bigger, we could go into that if we'd like, but that's, um, that's a big skill worth developing. Yeah. And one thing that I notice as well is you speak about it in a very slow way, which I think is really important because jealousy feels like such a fast emotion. It's like one of those emotions where it comes up and it's like, jealousy says, you need to act now. Like, <laughs> man, the ships, like, Mm -hmm. Do something about attack, that. attack. <laughs> and um, I think one thing that's really helpful is to remember, like, even if that very intense emotion comes up, it's essentially never an emergency. Like, never is it the case that something needs to be done right now, right in this moment. Usually, you can have that come up and speak about it later in that way. Um, so, usually, I feel like when people are accusatory or like coming with that attack mode towards their partner, it's coming from the rush place of like, oh my gosh, it's coming up. I have to do something right now. And that's the first thing that comes up. And if you just give yourself more time, you can approach it with more of the language that you just used. Right. And there's that quote from Master Uwe, uh, a man meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it. So if you're like, oh my gosh, they're going to, you know, I'm going to lose this person. So I'm going to come in hot and accuse them it pushes them away. Mm -hmm. Also though, I think one, one interesting thing about life is um, we're vulnerable yeah. and there is no certainty and we, relationships of all sorts, you know, romantic as well as business or everything requires trust and trust is a leap of faith. It's a risk because you don't know exactly. And so there are people who are untrustworthy. Mm. There are people who are deceitful, who will say, no, I just, just gave her, you know, I didn't know I wasn't anywhere. And then you find out they were, oh, no, I just gave her a ride home. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm, what? Right. So it, there are people that will lie and they're, you know, so, you know, and, and, you know, and sometimes what can trigger more jealousy is someone has had an experience like that where they had a partner that was, you know, deceitful. And so uh, I think one thing that can be helpful 
to to help restore a sense of hope for relationships and optimism is that there are there are untrustworthy people out there and there are people who are very trustworthy and it's a matter of like partner selection and finding them mm-hmm. and there are people no look no one is a hundred percent perfect you know you're going to have someone who's does weird things whatever they in some way shape or form has got their quirks and weird ways they act out but if you find someone and you're like this person is like really reliable and they're they're not going to like uh cheat on me they're not going to like once you've got that you can like relax into that Mm -hmm. and allow yourself to trust and part of that comes from not just the person that you're with, but the kind of relationship that you're creating. And if you have a high level of intimacy where you are able to fully share and they fully share with you and you really, really fully are experiencing this life together, then you can rely on that more Mm -hmm. because you really know that. So it's, it's a, I just wanted to acknowledge some of the complexity there about people's past relationships. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think part of the way that you can also explore that is just having conversations with that person, like what are agreements and what does trust mean to you? And um, how does jealousy show up for you? And just seeing their reaction to those things Mm -hmm. um, and seeing that they have an understanding of the vulnerability that it takes to be in a relationship. Um, versus like brushing it off as like jealousy should never come up and it's not normal to ever feel vulnerable and you can't have these conversations and you just need to trust blindly. Um, that's actually somebody I would trust less to be considerate of my feelings in a moment when I'm not there. Um, because if you're not considerate in that moment with me there, then probably even less so when I'm not there. So, um, you have been married over 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did it all myself. I take full credit. <laughs> um, so one thing I'm curious about, and you can share as much as you feel comfortable sharing with thousands of strangers, what is something that the two of you are still learning in about how to be in a relationship together? Because I think sometimes people do have that fantasy of like, you meet somebody, you get married, and then we're coasting forever. Mm. And there probably mm. is that increased certainty and connection and trust over time, but the growth and the learning also never ends. So what are some things that maybe over the past year or so you two have been learning together? That's a great question. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't, it isn't just coasting. And it's really interesting because if I look back even just a couple of years ago, I feel like both of our capacities are so much greater now. Even like, if you asked me a couple of years ago, like, oh yeah, look at my, my capacity for intimacy or um, handling life or raising kids or running a business. It's like, oh, it's strong. And now I look back to me a couple of years ago, I'm like, whoa, yeah, okay. You know, I, uh, so over time, I'd say both of our capacities to, I guess, be mature or responsible, even though those words sound kind of like boring, um, are, has grown. And I think that's just grown from like taking on more and being responsible to more. Um, so, um, 
and then what we're what we are nav learn to navigate it. So we both like to say yes to things in life and we have a vision we want to create like we were talking about this before the interview like we're moving uh we're raising two kids we run this business um she's involved in like taking them to different school stuff we just got a second puppy i don't think i even told you about that so life is just so full and and we'll say yes to all this stuff and then at times they'll be like where do we how do we connect with each other you know where is that intimate time and uh Sometimes we'll get into conflict about that. And, um, and I think what both of us have gotten better at where we're still learning is like, okay, when the other person is in a depleted state or reactive in some way, how do you respond to them? Like, can, can the other person be more resourceful? Cause it's easy to just go, you know, she says something to me and I'm like, well, what about you? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And so just uh, last week I was uh, running a three day online event. So that was, and this was like two weeks after we got this new puppy, Mm. we got the new puppy because, well, it's a long story, but anyway, uh, (laughs) I could share that some other time. And, uh, but timing wise, it made sense for us. And, but then, you know, puppies are chaos and we already have little kids and everything. And so, and then we're doing this event and she's just totally, like depleted. And so we're laying in bed in the middle of the night, middle of the night. It's like the only time we have to talk these days right now for this little period of time. And, uh, and she's just said something like, like, I don't know if you want the same level of intimacy as I do in a relationship. And I'm like, what? Like what? This wasn't a conversation before we had the puppy. (laughs) Right. And it was like, and, and in that moment I was like, I could like challenge her or convince her otherwise. And I was just like, okay, or can I just like be with that? She's like hurting right now and wanting more. Mm-hmm. And, and so whether it's right in that moment or within like an hour or two or texting each other, but there's this, there's this willingness to like let go of pride that I feel like earlier in the relationship was more like, well, well then fine, I'm going to do my own thing. And like, <laughs> and then I would stay in that for like a day or two or whatever. And we'd be more like, and now it's just life is like full and it's short. It's like, okay, how long do we want to hold out on that? Mm. And so I think I'm a lot more quick to apologize, not just with her, but with my kids, with other people, just like not holding on and being willing to uh, acknowledge or admit or that sort of thing. So I think that's a, that's a place of growth. It's also a place of, of uh learning as well and and then i think um i think we're both missing like intimate time together right now and there's sort of this season that we signed up for for the first couple months of this this couple months and we're just kind of like right in the middle of it right now but even that i feel like in the past if we didn't have like intimate time or time to be as much uh, sexual time as we wanted we would fight a lot more there'd be a lot more like kind of this undertone of like hurt and you don't care about me and you will. And I'm going to, you know, and I feel like for the most part with this, we're still like really connected. Mm-hmm. And then when we have that time together, though, we both like, you know, are cherishing it. But I think both of us are not, cause not, this is not what we want to do long-term. And I know there's couples like that who are just like so full, Yeah. but we're like, no, we need this like time where it's just us 
And um, so we had that. We put the boys on watching a movie on the weekend. It was like, you go watch the movie. The puppy's asleep. That other dog's over there. Let's go. We got like an hour. This is amazing. And you just do eye contact. That's it. Just wow. like straight on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think one thing that from the outside looking in, I've always admired about your relationship is that the two of you are always a team. Like, even if one person has an issue, it's like, it's both of our issue now. It's like, we both look for solutions and ways to work around that. And I think that comes back to the original topic of how do you know if something's workable? And I think part of it is, are both of you working it out? Mm. It's not workable if it's just you working out the issues in a relationship alone without a contribution from your partner, being seen by your partner, or um, being able to talk to your partner about those things. And obviously, the both of you feel so comfortable being open with each other, even when those challenges come up. Yeah. And I feel like that's like a, a habit that continually needs to be practiced in order to stay strong, right? Is that, you know, the willingness to lean in and to, uh, to, to share more vulnerably about what's happening. And I think I had this thing kind of growing up in a family where we just didn't talk about what was going on very much that I had this kind of like safe space with Candace. It was just the two of us that I could share what was happening. And then anytime it wasn't that, like we were around our kids or anyone was around, I just, or, you know, friends visiting and be like, how you doing? Fine. I'm great fine, whatever, you know, and I've just practiced because life's been more full and we don't have as much like childcare and stuff like that right now. So it's just like, and you know, it's, I will run through my mind what I'm going to say so that it's like age appropriate or whatever for our kids. But I might say something like, how are you doing? I might say like, oh, I'm stressed out right now, or I feel tense right now, or I'm feeling low energy right now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, of course, like your kid can hear a parent say that to another parent. In fact, that's actually what I would want to create in, mm-hmm. in, in a level of the home. So I think uh, for me to continually override that old impulse to just look like I got it all together. Mm-hmm. And because uh, then you miss out on those opportunities. And one other little tip that I learned, I forget what book this was from. They call it simmering. We do this a lot, which is like, yes, everything's super full. Oh, and I learned this one too is that the that night we were having that conflict about like maybe you don't want the same level of intimacy as as I do. I realized I was making this mistake, and I learned this from Tony Robbins that uh, you don't want to make this mistake, which is conveying in subtle ways that other stuff is more important than your partner. Mm. And so what happened? This was in like the first week of getting the puppy, week to two weeks. Totally understandable. You could make a case why, but it doesn't change emotionally how we feel. I, you know, I would get home and a kid's running over and then I'd be like, did you take the dog? When did she last pee? And I got, okay, I'm going to take the dog out, you know, and there's not this like, you know, so uh, moving towards her. So after that conversation, I made a decision. It's like, no matter what's going on, I walk in through the door, there's a puppy over there, there's a boy over there. And I like push him aside <laughs> and go straight to her and like have a moment of connection with her mm-hmm. and then go deal with the other stuff. And that's really a, a powerful message too but also in the midst of it all having moments of simmering where you like look you're not gonna like make out and do it right there there's kids (laughs) and dogs around but how about a moment of just like holding each other 
mm-hmm. and like caressing her spine for a second, you know, smelling her neck and then, you know, then on to the next thing. And it's just like 30 seconds, mm-hmm. but it creates this kind of like sustained energy of, of, um, of uh, sexual or, or um, intimate exchange in environments where that you might have day, a day or two or more that goes by before you can really be together. Yeah. So I find that to be really useful for, this is turning into a busy parent <laughs> tips. So I don't know if your audience, <laughs> for those of you who are busy parents, these are the uh, challenges that you, you can look forward to. Yeah. Well, we've got single moms who are yeah. dating. I'm sure that will be very useful for them. And I definitely really resonate with what you said about making the person your number one priority and communicating that in every avenue. Um, Because I think so many of those little fights we have are actually a test of Mm -hmm. like, how much do you care about me? Like, like if you feel somehow that you're number two and you can't put your finger on why you feel that way, you like bring up a little argument to see like, do you have a reaction to me? Like, do you care about me emotionally? Um, so a lot of that can be like soothed with just knowing like no matter what's going on, like you and I are each other's first priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience today, um, including how we can find you and how people can learn more from you? I can definitely share that. I'll share that and see if there's any parting gems uh, overall. And the easiest way to learn uh, about what I got going on is uh, draziz.com. That's D-R-A-Z-I-Z.com. You can find out about my podcast called Shrink for the Shy Guy, YouTube channel called Get More Confidence, as well as those three-day virtual events we're doing, um, and books and more, uh, 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 free training courses, all kinds of great stuff. So if you want to build confidence, that's a good place to start. Parting words, I would say that you know, people listening to this are probably in a wide range of, uh, you know, moments in their dating life and relationships. And at times it might feel like I'm not where I want to be. And especially in dating, it seems like it can go hopeless really quickly, like kind of dramatically hopeless, like, oh, that didn't work out. Oh, I'm alone forever. And it can feel so real. And I think what I want to leave here with is that it's not real. It's an illusion. And it's, it's okay to go to that hopeless place. We all do. You're not alone if you go there. And the best thing to do is just name it when you go there and say, yeah, sometimes it seems hopeless. Mm. And you have a party that wants to like, no, no, it's going to be great. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's a time for that, but not when you're in the hopeless place. And when you're in the hopeless place, just like literally like put your hand on your heart, slow your breathing. And just a hundred percent acknowledge that part. That's just in like, it's like a three-year-old, you know, it's just like, yeah. And sometimes it seems that way. That language is really important, right? You don't say, yeah, it's hopeless. You're doomed. You just say, yeah, sometimes it seems that way. I'm sorry. It's painful. And you're just with yourself for like five minutes or 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden, like that glimmer of whatever determination or possibility sparks back. But uh, it's about, I really think it's about weathering those storms and then, uh, you know, there's hundreds of people I've seen that I've worked with personally. And then, you know, probably through your podcast and elsewhere, thousands of people out there um, who once thought it was hopeless, who are now experiencing more love and connection than, than ever before. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's if you're as you're listening to this, that's 100% possible for you too. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that last gem. Thank you so much for joining me on the Women's Dating and Confidence podcast and hope to have you back soon. Thanks, Amber.